There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the podcast of a woman named Rad and a man named Paul. Welcome to Game for Anything. Hey, I'm Rad. And I'm Paul. Today's Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League is Harley, the smash hit Paul hoped it would be. (laughs) Could your morning brown be saved by revealing its DNA? Scientists have genome-sequenced coffee, plus a board game of unmatched quality, which is anything but boring, and fish in a ute. That's right, we certainly have opinions, and thank you for saying morning brown. That's the single most nauseating way of referring to the medical necessity that is coffee. That is a reference to Australian darlings, Auntie Donna. Morning brown, morning brown. They coined the term. I love Auntie Donna. Good, good boys. Well, clearly you don't love them that much because you didn't know the term morning brown. It was so unpleasant that it just like drove itself out of my... I I can't say lanyard (laughs) without saying it the way they say it. Lanyard. Well, Paul, we are all unashamedly, absolutely addicted to coffee, especially I think being Australians. Huge coffee culture here. And there is some very big news in the world of the small bean uh, (laughs) because researchers in Italy have just published in uh, Nature Communications, the academic journal, Mm -hmm. uh, the most complete genetic map of Arabica coffee to date. So this genome sequencing has revealed the hidden variations in Arabica coffee, which is typically a very lowly variable plant. So basically there's not a lot of genetic variation in it, and that leaves it really susceptible to things like pests, disease, and climate change. Mm -hmm. Lately, we have been seeing declining yields uh, in coffee for that very reason. They can't deal with the unpredictable rainfall and rising temperatures of climate change. So by delving in to the DNA, the stuff that makes up coffee, they can find the variations and then hopefully uh, genetically modify or selectively breed to be able to not only kind of tweak the flavors of coffee and maybe bring us something a little bit delicious and new, but grow more robust plants. That means that we can continue to have coffee for many years to come. Okay, so even in the worst Mad Max style apocalypse hellscape, we'll at least have... Our morning brown is what you're saying. (laughs) Well, that's the hope. And this is a really big deal because Arabica makes up 60% of the world's coffee production. So there's basically two main uh, cultivars of coffee, mm-hmm. Arabica and Robusta, and those are the ones that we mostly drink. But there are also about 100 different coffee species globally, but many don't have caffeine and only, yeah, about two to three of them are considered worth drinking or turning into a drink this is starting to sound a bit jurassic park ish like how much can you futz with the dna of a thing before it becomes something else entirely and how long until coffee destroys us all (laughs) 
Well, look, I think that this is an interesting conversation because a lot of people, when they hear genetically modified organisms or like, especially when it comes to plants and things that you eat, they feel really, really nervous about it. They don't want to, you know, eat something that, yeah, is potentially going to do something to their body that they don't expect. But the fact of the matter is that humans have been genetically modifying plants forever, basically. Like... The classic example is the fact that carrots didn't naturally grow orange. They grow in like a variety of colors, including purple and yellow, but they were selectively bred to be orange because that was the color of the Dutch royal family. And it was like a little novelty. Here you go, king. You excuse me? Hang on. Okay. So there were some orange carrots and they just basically wheedled out the non-orange ones as a nod to those clog-wearing freaks. I'm allowed to say that. I'm Dutch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, they weren't even like primarily orange. They're mostly red, yellow, purple. Oh, but that sounds way more fun, right? Like that sounds way more enjoyable visually. And they, you don't, you don't agree? No, no, no. I think it sounds more fun now because we're used to orange. We're used Mm. to all of them being orange, but typically there's been a lot more genetic variation in any plants. You know, you could also look at maize or corn. Uh, There's all types of purples and blues and all this to what is now to us extremely interesting colors and flavors and textures, and they grow a lot bigger and smaller. But we're used to one type of kind of yellow sweet corn, or if you're lucky... You get the fancy one that's got little bits of whiter kernels as well. I, I love that stuff. I love the idea that genetic modification could maybe reinsert some of the variety and exoticism back into species that have been genetically paired back to like a single strain. Could they do that with coffee? Have we, was there some sort of freaky multicolored coffee variant that we lost years ago or is it all just still pretty much coffee? I think the main thing is that there are many cultivars of coffee but there's only like two that we really want to drink. So there's only two that have all of the things going for them that make them a worthwhile kind of commercial crop. Um, You could start crossbreeding with other varieties of coffee but at the end of the day is that going to produce a good (laughs) cup? So by looking into the DNA they can get much more specific with uh, kind of what gene affects what quality of the plant and use that as a more accurate way to, like I said, encourage genetic variation, but also kind of tweak flavor because the growing conditions of a plant are extremely important to how it turns out flavor-wise later on. You know, it's your classic, uh, the the soil, you taste the soil is what they say. Ew! You just get a handful of dirt and go, this is Dude, great. Dude, I've watched a video... <laughs> A wine grower, I think, walking around the vineyard and he picks up the dirt down by the the plant and eats it because, yeah, you taste the dirt. (laughs) (laughs) That's absolutely crazy. My last little coffee factoid. Sure. There's actually a native Australian coffee plant. Is it any good? No. Sucks. <laughs> like I said, two to three, two to three uh, coffee species worth drinking. Yeah. Um, so, Coffea brassi is the Australian uh, plant that's grown or found up in far north Queensland. Mm. Um, it's it's been known to scientists for a while, but in 2011, due to partially due to DNA sequencing that uh-huh. was done by Q Royal Botanic Gardens, they reclassified it as a coffea or coffee plant into okay. that genus. Okay. Um, but it, yeah, it hasn't been considered worthwhile 
drinking. Maybe they can inject it with whatever makes it actually coffee, and then we can we can have our own coffee empire. Well, some coffee is grown in Australia, but it's not considered a kind of lucrative or worthwhile crop here because labor costs are too high. Mm. Uh, there's kind of limited climate and land that's suitable for growing coffee, and it's just cheaper generally to import it than it is to grow here. Look, let's be real. Coffee is the most important thing happening in most of our lives uh, any given morning. So I love covering a little bit of science, but we are uh, primarily, I guess, a gaming podcast. And, but we do have a game to talk about today. <laughs> we do. Yes, we do. It's uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And look, Rocksteady have finally dished up their new open world-ish game, which is set in the Arkham universe, which follows Harley Quinn, Deadshot, King Shark, and Captain Boomerang who are basically four criminals who have bombs in their necks, which will go off if they don't do shady government work. So if you are familiar with the Arkham games, it's a trilogy of Batman games, which I think the last one came out about a decade ago, almost a decade ago. And the series ended with Batman pretty much, and this is a spoiler for a 10-year-old game, blowing up Wayne Manor and disappearing into the night. Dead, alive, faked his death, whatever. The series was on a weird cliffhanger point. And in between then and now, Rad, we were promised a variety of games which would continue that story. So one was a promised yet scrapped Superman game. Uh, and there's been talk about getting the Justice League into the mix. And now we've got this Suicide Squad game. And the title is Kill the Justice League. And that's kind of the premise. And it's not a bad premise. It's kind of a bold, audacious premise to make people wait a decade for the Justice League and then have you play as a C-stringer tasked with killing those very same characters. <laughs> Paul, I've played a little bit of this game. I think I've pretty much just gotten up to the point uh, where they flip the switch and go, okay, now we want you guys to kill the Justice League. Gotcha. So essentially I've played the intro. <laughs> uh, you finished the campaign, correct? Yeah, I finished the campaign. I played the whole damn thing. And I must confess it was kind of a slog at times. But did you enjoy the amount of time you spent in the game? To me, it felt kind of like a games game, a little bit old school in some ways. Uh, there's a lot of kind of fun traversal, all of which I forgot the controls of immediately. Uh, there's very arcadey shooting of grunts everywhere. Yeah. It, there's like a hundred waypoints as you move. So it really holds your hand and leads you through things. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, like the pacing was kind of nice. I liked how sort of mindless it was in a lot of ways. But the real reason that I kind of, like you said, was a slug and I put it down and didn't quite pick it back up is because I hit a few bugs. Um, I've been playing on PS5 and there were a couple times where it's just like the, the correct things didn't trigger. Like the uh, enemies would spawn and I'd kill them, but then the new enemies wouldn't spawn oh. for me to kill them and, and move on. So your issues were primarily around bugs. My issues... I didn't encounter any bugs, uh, full disclosure, but I did finish the game and leave feeling strangely bugged about the whole thing. Uh, it, it turned into a sort of a, yeah, it was a bit of a slog for me. So I went in assuming, as many people did, that it was going to be an Arkham-esque single-player game with really nice bespoke levels and lots of set pieces and lots of plot. And, you know, it is in fact more like Anthem or Destiny or The Division. It's a live service game, which means that once you clear that threshold of the part of the game that you've played, you are dumped into an open world in which four characters with very unique, distinct play styles as far as traversal goes. You know, King Shark is like the Hulk. He does big jumps. Uh, Deadshot has a jetpack. Harley Quinn has purloined some of Batman's grappling stuff. The second you start fighting, every character feels 
exactly the same. It's just a shooter. You're literally collecting increasing quality guns and just shooting stuff, which means that unlike Marvel's Avengers, which was a game that failed but is a lot like this, each hero in that game had completely unique playstyles, like a totally different playstyle. Here, all four of them are just the same characters collecting new guns. So they've sanded off all of that individuality which made the Arkhamverse and these characters feel so special. So by the time I got to the plot beats, which have been divisive to say the least, I'm so bored and angry that I haven't had that much fun getting to this story, which pissed me off anyway. That's really disappointing because the Arkham games were held in extremely good stead. Mm. I remember when they came out, the combat just felt really fluid, really lovely, interesting. It felt like it packed a punch. And so to kind of, I guess, move away from what at the time was like innovating in combat uh, and moving towards like you said, sanding it off and making it all the same, that's pretty disappointing. Yeah, in the Marvel Avengers game, they tried to give you the upgradable weapon equivalent by giving each of these characters, like even the Hulk was upgrading his fists and you'd put on like holographic fist augments <laughs> and you wouldn't see them, but the Hulk, guess what? The Hulk's hands are the Hulk's hands, right? The, the, the point is that these characters don't actually need guns to make this game good. If this was the exact same game, but every character had a totally unique talent tree and build, at least then you would feel like you were sort of living the fantasy of those characters but instead I'm just so bummed out I mean I did finish it Rad I played it in I think two monster sessions and by the time I kind of wrapped and the credits rolled I was I was really irritated and I had to go online and talk to some people who had sort of, you know, read some of the ancillary material or, you know, heard some spoilers to get any closure on these plot beats because they plan on doling out the rest of the story over the next few years via seasonal kind of passes. And that is not the game that I signed up for. Look, I'm really tired of that model because I think that it's trying to draw people into staying with what often are enjoyable but kind of mediocre games, yeah. right? Like, And look, I I kind of think it's okay to make a mediocre game. <laughs> I think that there's a real place for them to... And by look, by mediocre, I just mean not your absolute blockbuster kind of stick-with-you-forever Last of Us uh, kind of games, mm. right? They're the ones that you get a couple of them. They're really fun. You play them. Like, for example, Infamous, I would say, was one of those. Sure. It stays in the zeitgeist a little bit, but it's okay for it to be a moment in time. Yeah. And just something that you play and enjoy and remember and walk away from mm-hmm. this culture of trying to get people to stay with something super long term. I'm not about it. Some I'm things, not about it other than yeah. Fortnite and Dota. Uh, yes, but some things you're right aren't meant to last forever. Sandy and Danny in Greece didn't need to be forever to, for that relationship to be important, to be an important moment in their lives, right? There is nothing wrong with creating a game that is finite, with creating a thing that is finite. But if you want to make as much money as possible, you got to keep the content rolling out. But the problem is, Rad, the actual story in this game, much like the story of Danny and Sandy, is actually good. It's, it's, it's a good story, well told. The performances are good. The mocap's good. The plot beats are good. But to get to those plot beats, you have to slog through. I mean, even the single player, in scare quotes, content in the game is just reskinned versions of Capture the Flag, Jump Around the Map. Every time you get to a plot beat, a vital plot beat where you have to do something important, it just rolls out 
the same f***ing busy work. And then you finish it and you see these great cutscenes and I honestly think maybe the best way to experience the plot of this game right now is to just watch the cutscenes in one sitting. Because there's no multiple choice ending, there's none of that. It's just one story told, grafted up in an ugly fashion onto this sort of exoskeleton of paid content. And uh, I'm seriously on the fence about it. Yeah, I think I can see what you're saying because from the bit that I played, uh, the gameplay did feel like it would end up being fairly samey. You know, mm. you have the same kind of grunts, they pop up, and you don't need to necessarily use any special tactics or anything. Obviously, they have the option for counter moves and melee and collecting shields and stuff that you can do. Mm. But really, if you just like fly around and shoot stuff, you'll do fine. Yeah. Um, and I, again, I think there's a place for that. Uh, but yeah, I can I can hear your disappointment that it's maybe not quite the game that you wanted. Which reminds me of the Suicide Squad movie ah. with uh, Will Smith was in it. <laughs> I think Margot Robbie was in it as well. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have seen it, yes. I've seen both of them. Were they good? Because I could not make it through. No, they weren't good. Well, the first one was, the first one was bad and the second one was James Gunn uh, with nobody telling him no. And I think... I think people telling James Gunn no is going to make him a better filmmaker. It's such an odd edgelordy hodgepodge. And this game, when you take away the gameplay, is much better from a storytelling and character perspective than either of those films, in my opinion. <laughs> and I do mean that as a compliment, Rad. And they've promised a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of post-launch content. And from some of the spoilers, it sounds like it's going to be better than the base game. So I'm, I'm not closing this book just yet. I'm keeping one finger in there just so I can sort of check back in over the coming months and see if they've sort of resolved things or cleaned up some of the very messy storytelling. But at this point, it's a, it's a soft no from me. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, Rad, going from a disappointing video game to a thoroughly undisappointing board game was a really nice way to pivot my weekend. Uh, remember how my board game of the year was Return to Dark Tower, that one with that extremely expensive kind of peripheral, and we were talking about the app that they had that was really fun? Yeah, yeah. Well, Restoration Games, who made that, have made something else, and I want to talk about it this week. It's called Unmatched. Is it new? It's not new per se. It came out in 2019. It was the result of a Kickstarter, and it's basically a skirmish game. It's an asymmetric skirmish game where you have a miniature representing a kind of fictional character, and you have a deck of cards, and you hop on a board and you fight. That's it. It is It is just a skirmish game. And back in 2002, there was a Star Wars game called Epic Duels, and I never played it, but the basic premise was exactly the same. And Restoration Games, as the name would imply, is they, in the words of John Hammond from Jurassic Park, spared no expense in taking games you loved <laughs> and just like supercharging them, throwing money and ideas at them. And they do incredible work. And this is a reimagining of that game. And what's wild about it, Rad, is that for a while, they actually 
only used fair use characters. So the first box set was Alice in Wonderland, Sinbad, Medusa, and King Arthur. Uh, they've got Robin Hood and Bigfoot in the mix, The Invisible Man, Sherlock Holmes, all of these unlicensed characters to kind of duking it out. And now they've got licensed characters. So they've got Marvel. Um, they did a limited run of a Bruce Lee uh, crossover where his estate gave permission for him to be a playable character. Sometimes in Fortnite, the licensing feels like just reskins. Here, the play style changes completely depending on who you're playing as. Every character feels completely distinct and every game takes about 15 minutes and it's super easy to pick up. So it's the opposite of Suicide Squad. (laughs) It is the exact opposite of the Suicide Squad, yes. So how many people can play this? So typically speaking, you can have 1v1, but they've just released a co-op mode where you can all play up to four players against an almost AI piloted bad guy like the Mothman or an alien invasion. So there's like a bad guy deck that just sort of plays itself. Uh, you can play 2v2. It's just, I'm, I'm, I'm so obsessed with this game and I've been trying to come up with ideas for sort of decks to pitch at them. I was uh, thinking maybe it'd be nice to pitch a catfish expansion where you can play as Neve and Cammy, and the mechanic there would be uh, your opponent plays a card and you actually get to reveal that the card they played was much much worse and more underwhelming than they thought it was I don't know <laughs> they're really going into some weird areas licensing wise and it just it's the possibilities are endless with so many different characters in the mix does it start to feel just like too hodgepodgey or messy like if you've got I don't know Steamboat Willie <laughs> fighting Thor, God of Thunder, like that, that seems a little bit too silly and maybe unbalanced. Yeah, well, look, don't get me wrong. In real life, Steamboat Willie would get absolutely creamed uh, by Thor. And that is a fight <laughs> I would love to see. But actually, speaking of the IPs, the often kind of conflicting IPs, I think, I actually spoke with Justin Jacobson, who was the president of Restoration Games. And he isn't just the game developer who made this game. He also used to be an attorney for 20 years. So he was uniquely equipped to approach people and ask them for permission to use their characters. First of all, Justin, thank you so much for chatting with us today. How does somebody who starts as an attorney end up making games like this? Well, for starters, I was a gamer long before I was an attorney. (laughs) Uh, My dad was a lawyer, so I also kind of picked that up as well. (laughs) I also did a lot of pro bono work for people in the game industry, like reviewing contracts and things like that. Mm. Back uh, then, before I started uh, uh, Restoration Games, I would go to Gen Con every year. And I would put on a legal Q&A seminar to write off the trip as a business expense. (laughs) Um, And I would come ask me your legal questions. And then at one of those random seminars, a woman came up to me and said, hey, my husband's getting ready to leave Hasbro. Wanted to pick your brain. Can we take you to dinner? And that was Rob Davio and his wife, Lindsay Davio, who also worked at Hasbro at the time. And he was getting ready to leave. He'd just done Risk Legacy. He wanted to, you know, he was working on Seafall. And I said, sure. And so ever since then, I've basically been Rob's attorney, kept in touch or whatever. And I just had this idea, you know, Kickstarter was coming along and I had this idea. I I think I had seen a a post on like BGG about someone like, oh, this is my grail game. And I I, might have been Queen's Gambit, I think. Um, And I was like, oh, well, you could bring that back. Why not? And especially now that Kickstarter has made, you know, starting a game company a viable thing. Yeah. And I approached Rob with that idea and said, hey, you know, let me make you an offer you can't refuse. And we're basically, you know, de facto partners, but he doesn't have to worry about any of the business stuff, although he still does a lot of the business stuff too. (laughs) But my pitch was just focus on making games and I'll handle the rest. And, uh, you know, 
the rest is history. Like it took off. The idea worked, you know. It's incredible stuff. And I mean, part of the thing that I like about specifically Unmatched, because I've played a few of your games, but Unmatched seems to revolve around its asymmetrical battles. How closely does that resemble physical aspects, notwithstanding uh, the battles that take place in, in the courtroom? It, it's. I wouldn't say it's a terrible metaphor. There's one key difference, though, is it when you're battling in the courtroom, mm. it's not objective it's subjective right uh yes. there's a judge or a jury most of my cases were uh bench trials mm. who's going to decide the outcome and so you could be so much better than the other person but if the judge is an idiot which you know here's a secret from the other side they're mostly idiots <laughs> you know you can lose anyway but that yeah. can sort of be analogous to an unmatched like oh i got a really crappy draw you know, I didn't get the cards I needed. I guessed wrong on what card to faint, you know, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, it's not horrible. <laughs> For it to be truly analogous, you would need either one person watching, uh, making really yeah. odd calls, or you'd need one person from a lower socioeconomic background to just get a shittier deck, right? Like you. It... Yeah, it's also true. Yeah. On the on the courtroom side of things, Justin, the degree to which certain uh, IPs are gate kept as opposed to others, uh, that is so. It, it's such a fascinating subject to me, and I'm very curious as to uh, what kind of walls you run into and how often you come up to an IP and they just let you straight in. It's super interesting because you're right. And what I think a lot of it for some people is it's not for them. It's not a business. It's family. Right. Sure. So it has a lot more uh, emotional uh, relevance to them than, mm. hey, this is one of the 7000 movies we've released in our <laughs> 100 year career mm. or, you know, existence of our company or whatever. Yeah. Obviously, for the big players, it's business. It's all business. They're evaluating it. And even like how you treat the IP or whether they think this is a good fit for the IP mm -hmm. is really just going to come down to business, right? Like, is this going to support the IP and make it stronger and let us sell even more licenses or, you know, do even more licenses? Or is it, you know, going to damage the IP and therefore make the license less valuable? Yeah. But when you're talking about estates and things like that, um, you know, Bruce Lee, uh, I didn't work with her personally, but Tim did because this was back through Mondo. Hmm. Uh, that's his his widow, who's apparently a very cool person. You know, they do a lot of stuff with uh, Bruce's likeness, and he lives such a cool life. And they're doing all these cool things for like charities and things like that. And then on the other hand, I'll go ahead and mention it because it, it didn't happen. But I looked into getting a license for Shaq Shaquille O'Neal. Oh. He seems like a super cool guy, but he it's so much bigger that uh it was just like that we couldn't make the numbers work right i really wanted to because it was so different from the kind of stuff we normally see and so interesting yeah my sort of dream deck i'm a huge i was i was a huge bruce fan mm. so when we got to the bruce deck i was like cloud nine and uh i was like I'm, I'm designing this deck sorry you know owner's prerogative what would you like to do dream scenario like what what is what's on your wish list right now uh, my dream deck for sure, James Bond would be up there as one of Dream IP. I'm a huge James Bond fan. Nice. And then obviously the two biggies that we haven't done yet are Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Star Wars would be a particularly cool way to sort of end it, come full circle, because the original game was Star Wars Epic Duels. Mm. So to come back full circle and do that would be neat. I'm not super optimistic that either of those will ever happen, but you never know. So end it. Wait, you're gonna end this? <laughs> Kill me. <That's> not <laughs> And so, so it's funny, we originally, when we first started, we're like, hey, we should do exactly 100 heroes and then stop. 
Yeah. And like, but then people really dug it. So, and we like working on it. Uh, and so I, so what I always, people always, you know, as you might imagine, I get a lot of suggestions <laughs> yeah. for whether it's decks or sets or IPs or whatever it is. And I love it. That's actually a fun part of the job is <laughs> hearing from fans about that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and I always say the same thing where there's too many IPs and not enough time. Right. Yeah. But you know, I always say is like, People continue to support the game. We will continue to make it. And the longer it goes on, the more likely that the one hero that you want us to do will get made. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I love your work and please, please keep making stuff. Will do. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. So that was Justin Jacobson, the president of Restoration Games. And that was Unmatched, an absolutely incredible game, which I am frankly addicted to and I highly recommend it. Paul, I have one last thing that I want to tell you about. And it's, it's a bit silly, but it's also really cool. Oh, please tell me. Uh, a guy transported a bunch of fish in a ute. He found a bunch. A guy found a bunch of fish in a lake that was drying up. Yeah. So he scooped them up. Yeah. Put them in the back of a ute. Uh, drove them fifty kilometers to a private dam and chucked them in there. But utes aren't watertight, are they? Was the water flowing out? Yeah. The whole time? Look, how the hell did he pull this off? No, I think it. I think he put a tarp. <laughs> Or like a pond liner or something. Right. So, okay, I've I've downplayed the story uh, slightly. <laughs> yeah. Biologist Adam Karazi found uh, this population of olive perchlets, commonly known as glassfish, uh, in a lake that was drying up. Like, it was going to go. There was not the rainfall to sustain this lake. And these olive perchlets are extremely endangered. They're currently only found in isolated pockets, which is a very far cry from their numerous days living along Australia's east coast. Mm -hmm. um, and the populations that they are aware of are also lacking in genetic diversity. So upon finding these fish, he's like, holy shit! Here she is. He said that when these little fish tumbled out of the net, it was very exciting. We have been looking for these animals for 20 years. Wow. Okay, so he basically found the dodo and scooped it up and took it to safety. This is incredible. I mean, is this guy in any way, first of all, is he a marine biologist or just some tradie who happens to like fish? Like, No, 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 he's a biologist. Oh, great, he's great. a biologist. Uh, otherwise, how would like he identify this like highly endangered fish. You'd just be like, oh, fish. Maybe he's like a like the fish equivalent of a bird watcher, you know? Secret hobby. Nothing wrong with having a secret hobby. Do you just mean a fisherman? Uh, <laughs> no, no, uh, I guess I do. I mean, I guess my concern is that he, uh, <laughs> he says it was for conservation, but actually he just took him to a spot where he likes to fish <laughs> just, to, just to get him later, you know? Put, just to put a bookmark in that. I doubt it because they're really small. Ah. They, they can grow up to seven centimeters, but typically they're like four centimeters. Right. Does this mean the species is saved? Is this actually going to work and is this going to contribute towards the proliferation of this uh, of this rare fish look we don't know yet um so the hope is that they will thrive in this dam mm. they've put in uh kind of like screens and stoppers and stuff to try and prevent carp who are predatory fish that are extremely invasive from getting in so that the, their population can grow mm. um they are genetically different from the other like kind of larger population that they're aware of so the hope is that they'll be able to start a breeding program with the fish and replenish populations but they won't kind of start trying that until after winter when they see how these fish have done in the dam i'm just so curious about the transportation of these because a sudden stop and that water is gone <laughs> i mean you'd have to be so careful and you wouldn't want the cops to stop you either because how do you like how do you how do you, how do you explain that was he 
you you say I've got some very <laughs> special fish that I got to get to the water, man. Don't stop me. We've all tried that, though. We've all tried that when we're stopped by police during a high-speed chase. I can neither confirm nor deny uh, whether any fish sloshed out of the tray <laughs> during transportation. Uh, but he did kind of mention that, like, it's a bit of a crazy race because uh, you got to keep them in a decent-sized container, pack mm. everything up, jump in the ute, and fly down, and then gently release them into their new home. <laughs> So I do think that he was like hustling down some rural dirt roads <laughs> yeah. trying to trying to get But look, there's a picture of the ute and it is unclear whether <laughs> the fish are really just in the tray by itself or they really meant he put them in a container and yeah. then drove the ute yeah. with the container in the tray. Okay. I want to believe. I want to believe he was just like, "Oh <laughs> no, I found these fish. I got to do this right now. There's yeah. no time to waste." Yeah. And and just got a tarp and chucked him in. That's- but he is also planning more trips back out to the lake to try and get more fish. He said he said he's moved over three hundred so far. I might be able to move a few more, but the lake is drying pretty fast. Oh man! If every person with a Ute had this kind of level of foresight, we'd be in a better place as a, as, as a race. I think. What a what a beautiful story. Well, yeah. If you've got a Ute and you're down near Bulagal in Central West New <laughs> South Wales, you might want to. Hop on over and help old mate Adam save one of the rarest fish in the Murray-Darling Basin. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Game for Anything. I'm Paul, that's Rad, you're you, and we'll see you soon. Bye, folks.